0: Welcome back to the Mastering Miles podcast powered by bioendurance, PT, and performance. My name is Matt Ferlindis. I am a physical therapist in the Milwaukee area that specializes in treating runners and running injuries. Today's episode is all about returning to running after an injury. Um, we are going to be chatting with Luke Mengus and Rob Milbeck of Expedition Performance And they are going to be having a conversation with me all about the process of returning to running after an injury. We are going to talk about um, criteria runners need to meet before they can start running, as well as what that process looks like. And it's important to say this is a very generalized approach and every injury is different. Everyone is different. So please seek medical care um, and assistance from a physical therapist, doctor, if you are going through this yourself. But the goal is to really um, make everyone aware of some of the things that we look at as healthcare providers and PTs that work with runners. That way you can have a better idea of what to look for and what to expect from that process um, in order to be an advocate for yourself in returning from an injury in the healthiest and safest way possible. So without further ado, let's go ahead and let's get into the discussion with Luke and Rob. what's up everybody we are chatting return to running after an injury today Um, this is a super important topic especially for runners that are returning from an injury and i have with me today um, rob and luke with expedition performance so um, i will go ahead and let rob and luke take it away and introduce themselves
1: i guess i can go first with that Um, my name is luke mengus i am a physical therapist um, I went to undergrad at UW-Eau Claire and have a degree in exercise science. I went to PT school at University of, no, actually not University of Wisconsin, Concordia University of Wisconsin up in Mequon, Wisconsin. Uh, I also did a orthopedic residency with Concordia University of Wisconsin, and then I have my OCS as well.
2: So. And my name is Robert Meilbeck. I'm also a doctor of physical therapy. I did my undergrad studies and my graduate studies at Concordia University, Wisconsin. Uh, I've been a runner since I was 14 years old. I've competed throughout the high school and the collegiate level and then post-collegiately. Nice. And it's important to know that both of you are
0: top-notch runners at that. I know, Luke, you just polished off a nice 31-miler a couple weeks back
1: yes sir it was a good time it was uh celebrating my 31st year on earth can't say I have any plans to do a 32 mile run in the near future but uh, 31 was a good time so awesome yeah, and you and too I've, rob you're a I've,
0: super fast runner
2: yeah well I've, I've hit the uh i've hit a number of uh races now you know i i did the entire college type of race series and then uh when you get to the roads and post collegiate seems like everyone wants to do the half marathon and marathon. So I've done uh, nine different marathons now, some better than others. And I've learned a lot in the process so far.
0: Awesome. And you guys have just recently started expedition performance, correct? Do you guys want to kind of give a little spiel about what you're all about at expedition performance and kind of what you guys do?
2: Yeah, Expedition Performance is a hybrid service for performance coaching. So we uh, do virtual visits, but we also do local to the Milwaukee area in order to work with uh, varying different athletes. Obviously, we have a special place in our hearts for those runners uh, just from our own backgrounds. But our real goal is to get people out into their own expedition to get, make people be able to perform like elite athletes uh, to their fullest ability. And so um, I'm excited to chat
0: with this about this topic with you guys because you are both both really prominent runners and both wonderful PTs that work with a lot of runners um, like myself. So I think we're going to have a lot of good knowledge to share overall. So just to like get things flowing and to kind of get things started, like um, either of you guys can answer, but why is it important that we return to running in a very like, Systematic and strategic way.
1: Yeah, ultimately the importance is allowing us to find success with it, right? And especially with returning to running, a big piece to it is tissue response over time, right? And the purpose behind having a strategy is to have a progressive step step stepwise system to say, hey, if we were at this workload and you succeeded there, but then we got to this workload, which is a little bit higher than the last one, and that caused you to have an increase in symptoms or some exacerbation of injury, we have a good um, strategy to step it back and work it backwards. So that's why we want to have a good control of the progression to make sure we can help the athlete appropriately progress back to where we want to be.
2: And this appropriate return, the goal of it really is to make sure that people don't get caught in the injury cycle. Uh, So many people, they try to rush the return from injury. Uh, to get back at the goals that they want to do at the back at competition level, and they end up re injuring that same structure or a different part of their body. Uh, you hear tons of stories about even pros who've gotten caught in that, especially in their younger years, and the success for them was breaking that cycle and forming a new positive cycle instead.
0: Awesome. Yeah, I totally agree. It's all about like, the goal is to not get injured again. And a big piece of that is making sure that we return back to running appropriately. Because if we do it too quickly, or too soon, or whatever it is, we're just gonna, like you said, Rob, we're just gonna fall back right directly into that trap again. And that just means more time away from running and more time not training. I think two important notes to make regarding this episode is um, first off, um, we were kind of chatting about this earlier, but really every injury tissue individual is different. So what we're gonna be talking about today is a much more generalized approach. Everyone is different. Every single injury is different. It's different if you injured a muscle versus a tendon versus bone. And so it's so important that if you're kind of on your own journey, um, to really seek help and to find kind of find your own individualized path back to returning to running. You know, seek out those physical therapists, your doctors, make sure you consult with those individuals because it's so important to do this correctly. And our goal with this is to just kind of lay out um generally how to, what to expect with it and what you can expect in terms of timeline and steps and all of that kind of stuff, just so it's not, doesn't come to as much of a surprise.
2: Do you guys have anything to add to that? Yeah, I think, I think one of the biggest benefits, but also faults of having so much information at our fingertips is we get lost in the sea of it. Sometimes people hear so many different things and it's because it is an individualized journey or individualized based on their structures or their workout history And that has to all be taken um, in stride and used by an expert to determine the best path forward.
0: Yeah, completely. And I can't, you know, even count how many people that I've had of like come to me, runners, non-runners that I'm working with, and they'll be like, oh, I've, I heard this worked for someone, you know, can I do the same thing? And it's like, well, it depends because everyone's completely different. Every injury is completely different. And it's just important for us to kind of understand that, but So then kind of getting into it. And before we even kind of get into that, I mean, it's no surprise and it's no um, mistake that injuries absolutely suck. And as runners, we're super competitive in nature. Like we want to compete. We want to be active. So let's say if somebody's injured and they're not able to run, they're not at that part where we can actually start that return to running protocol. What are some things that we can do like, while we are injured and can't run to still feed that drive and still feed that competitive nature overall?
1: Yeah, that's a really good good question. And one of the hardest parts of any injury, whether you're a runner or any kind of athlete is getting stuck in the mindset of what you can't do. Right. And, And that's really, really hard, especially for a runner who that's what they identify as. If they can't run, there's almost a paralysis by analysis of if I can't run, I can't do anything where I think as clinicians as strength conditioning coaches it's important for us to remind them that hey although you can't run right now there's still so much you can do from a cross training standpoint from a core training standpoint from a strength training standpoint to continue your conditioning maybe even advance your performance and also more important maintain your um, maintain yourself and your identity as an athlete so specific things are well if you can't put load through your lower limb appropriately There's other things like upper body circuit training, um, cycling if that's appropriate, even water aerobics. Um, Yeah, there are so many options. And again, it really is that paralysis by analysis of that, that shock that, oh, my gosh, I can't run anymore. But we need to be reminded, hey, there are so many things that we can do.
2: And I think so many people, especially when we're talking about running specifically, they think, well, I'm a runner, I run. But there's so many other ways that you can also just improve your athletic performance that maintains your health. And this is just a bit of advice, whether it's by injury that you're taking out of out of season or whether because it's out of season time, it's time to recover. doesn't mean you got to be a couch potato. You can always go do other things, but it's good to vary that load for long term health as well. Yeah. And like
0: even just building a foundation of, for getting back to running just because you can't tolerate that run. But a lot of times you can do a lot of lower leg strengthening, core work, all of those things that are going to help prepare that foundation to get back to running. And, and that's a huge part of that rehab process, too, is, is working on the exercises and working on um, those weak points that maybe were a key reason why the injury happened in the first place. And that's a great time to work on those to be able to come back stronger.
1: I've also found it helpful during, especially the downtime process to really put an appropriate context around what that cross training, what that, that downtime training is. Uh, I've found in working with runners that the word strength training tends to be a bit of a scary word to utilize because they can associate that with building muscle and gaining weight and potentially slowing them down. Um, Anytime a runner is not running, they associate that with losing their fitness and potentially weight gain and never getting that back. So it's important to help these athletes realize that when we say strength training, especially in the off season or in downtime, time loss from injury that we're using that strength training to build structural capacity, build up the tendons, the bones, the ligaments, the actual structures of their muscle tissue to make them truly stronger so that they can get back to running and not necessarily pack on 40 pounds. And quite frankly, if you do pack on 40 pounds using (laughs) minimal weight training. You probably have a gift there as you go into bodybuilding. So
2: <laughs> yeah. And, and as you mentioned with that, they're worried about losing the runner build or the runner mindset, right? Because it is a little bit of a, a gear that you have to be in, in order to be successful. And that's that, that loss of identity when people are injured, they're so worried that they're going to lose a part of themselves by not having that. And it's so important to be able to maintain a positive relationship with running as a sport running naturally endurance sports. A lot of times they end up being quite solo endeavors. Uh, But if you find a good team or a training group or a club, you can give back, you can volunteer, you can help others with what they're trying to accomplish for their goals. And that can be very positive in terms of the healing experience on a personal level which then when you do get back to full health you're ready to go you're you're chomping at the bit because you feel so energized from the positive atmosphere around the sport again
0: yeah i mean there's so many ways to continue to stay involved and continue to have that competitive mindset so those are all great points and hopefully you know if someone's listening and they're just going through that process it's hard i mean i feel like all three of us have probably been in that phase where okay. we probably can't run and it's just it's horrible it's it sucks but hopefully there's and we know that there's ways that you can still you know improve and um interact and have that full community aspect of it as well. So that's great. Um, All right, let's get into kind of the nitty gritty of it here. So when we're talking about the criteria of being able to actually start the process of returning to running, I feel like PTs in general, um, us as a group generalized, like we like to have a very standardized approach and almost like to have like a little checklist of things we like to cross off to make sure that we're doing it appropriately. So um, what are some things we can kind of go through these one by one and kind of go in depth, but, um, what do you guys think are, is probably some of the criteria that we need to meet, um, in order to actually start the process of returning to running?
1: Yeah, good question. I, I think as we talked about this before, but the first thing to state is if you are working with a current medical team, whether it's a physical therapist or physician, if there is a true injury going on, even a, a post-surgical type situation that we do need to respect certain timelines prior to even going through our criteria-based items, too. It's one of those situations where, um, yes, we can go as fast as the criteria, but ultimately time is our speed limit. Um, Beyond that, um, general criteria, number one is pain is controlled, right? Um, I think a hard part for a lot of athletes, even patients, whether they're runners or not, is understanding what is an appropriate Pain level to run through and or to operate through which it's helpful to give us some guidelines and when i'm in the clinic i'll typically give individuals pain rules to work through uh, typically uh one to two out of ten is appropriate place to be whether it's during exercise or or after um, i'll often be acceptable of going up two or three or four out of ten in the 24 to 48 hours after as long as that subsides an appropriate amount of time uh, otherwise, for going up to that five, six, seven out of ten pain, likely a situation where he should stop running completely or really consider backing things off.
2: And pain can be such a challenging metric to go off of, though. Pain—we've we've talked about this before, Luke. Where it's not pain as a single sign, but it's the pain experience. Pain is influenced by how we are feeling day to day by our emotions. It's influenced by mm. our stress levels. It's influenced by actually how much damage is local to an area. And part of that is pain is a guide, but guides are meant to be looked at across the entire spectrum. It's not a single point, ooh, it hurts right at that moment, but how does it feel throughout the entire time? And are we seeing a positive trend? If we are seeing multiple days in a row of pain being low, that's a very good sign. If we're seeing multiple days in a row of high, well, then it probably indicates that more damage is present and we have to be more cautious instead. Um, if you have one high day and the rest is good days, well, what else happened that day? What else is the context on that day? And I think that matters on the individual basis.
1: I'd say we're to that point, it can be really helpful to have a coach or a therapist to work with because you get that objective eye to look at your situation, help you understand what's going on. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. And, and that's a part about it is we're, it's all individual. So our experience of pain is going to be different and we're learning more and more and more on the research of how complex pain really is. It, it's really more than just, oh, my ankle hurts. There's so many connections throughout our whole brain and uh neuromatrix is what the term that they kind of give it. And that all can kind of act as little tiny amplifiers at some time, increase pain as well as sometimes decrease pain. So there's so much complexity to pain overall.
2: Mm-hmm. It's, it's very subjective, right? So then we have timeline that's pretty cut and dry. We know how many days it was since injury, but it depends on what's happening there. And then we have pain, which is a very subjective experience, which we can have to interpret, but it can be difficult to only go by sometimes. And so then each of us, I know we go off of objective measures then, right? We want to make sure that we are looking at numerical data that allows us to interpret how someone's doing. And before an area can be strong, before an area can really take on a lot of load, it's got to be able to move fully. You got to have full range of motion returning pretty much. And so uh, what, what's your guys' guideline? What do you expect to see for range of motion of a joint or an area where you say, yes, let's start to stress it?
1: Number one, you hit the nail on the head there, Rob. We can call that a normalizing joint or a normalizing tissue, right? the range of motion has returned to its full capacity whether that's uh, what you had pre-injury or comparison to the other side that's a really great metric to utilize say hey this joint this tissue is in a normalized status and the thing is the range of motion the status of those tissues can also be a really good um, piece to follow and something to look at in regards to the response to activity i.e after you've gone for let's say that level one or level two run did that range of motion decrease? Is that a, a metric we could utilize to look at to justify progressing or pausing or even regressing?
0: personally, I really like to see um, that range of motion is as full as we can possibly make it, especially before we even start that return to running as well as all the way up and down the chain, you know, from whether it's, you know, where no matter where your injury is, we should be assessing like lumbar spine and our hips and our knees and our ankles. And I think one thing that commonly gets missed is at the ankle, what is our, what's called close chain dorsiflexion, or essentially when my foot is on the ground, how far over my foot can my knee go essentially. And that's an important metric in running because we are constantly sending our knee over our toes. We need to make sure all of those joints are working properly within that kinetic chain. And then, too, like you mentioned, Luke, we need to make sure that when we do start to initiate that running, that that range of motion is is staying there, and we're not losing anything like that because that's can be a sign that oh something's happening here, and we need to kind of take a look at that to make sure that we're not harming anything or injuring anything or whatnot.
2: And Luke had mentioned the the, the limb, limb symmetry, right? Limb symmetry index type uh, as, as a way of looking at it. Uh, it's, it's good because it, once again, it individualizes. It says, hey, the best measure for you to look at is what your healthy side is like. With the one caveat that we hope that your healthy side wouldn't also get injured under <laughs> other circumstances. And so it is good to go against normative ranges as well as a backdrop certainly uh if you get someone who's lacking dorsiflexion by half even on their healthy side uh we're gonna we're gonna address that <laughs> mm-hmm. we're not gonna let that one just sit and say yeah you're good to you go get out the door go run mm-hmm. at that point
0: point. so then um obviously and we know too so we chatted about um pain range of motion and now we obviously do need a level of strength too to be able to return back to running And I feel like this is a little bit of a hard, more difficult spot to judge. But we know from research that when we're running, it's really, really high loads. A lot of times we think as runners, like it's just running. It's not that hard or it's not that impactful. But really, when we look at it, like the knee joint can face up to four times the amount of body weight. And even the Achilles tendon can face, you know, six to 12 times body weight, depending on the research. So especially if we have an issue in some of those areas, those tissues need to tolerate really high loads and have to have a really high level of strength. So what do you guys like to look at in terms of measuring strength um, to make sure that we are up to par to be able to tolerate all of those loads that we're dealing with while running?
2: When I'm looking at strength for an individual, which first off, it's absolutely essential. I think anyone who wants to be a runner, since it is such a dynamic activity and you're moving through space and you're moving your entire body, you have to be strength training pretty much. I think the individual who is going to jog to help out with cardiovascular health, they're even going to have a great, much better time if they get out and strength train on top of it, in addition to it, or start with strength training and then get into running instead. Uh, when I'm looking at it, I want to be checking out compound lifts, I want to be seeing full chain strength rather than just individualized areas as much as possible. So if an injury comes along, yes, we have to make sure that the muscles local to that injury are up to snuff that they got that, uh, that symmetry onto the other side. But then we're looking at how much more we can get. If we're talking about squatting, uh, RDLs, I would want between 75 and 100% of body weight that they can tolerate for several sets of 10.
1: Yeah, no, I, I totally agree with Rob and using functional movement as a way to identify, Hey, are we normalizing? Is strength returning? Do we have enough strength? Um, if we don't have fancy tools like we do in the clinic, um, great ways are to test for symmetry and return of strength are single leg squats. Um, IE number one, can the athlete do them successfully? And then number two, can they have equal symmetry side to side? Um, I think some of the good metrics to utilize are I'd have to look it up, but it's like 15 to 20 single leg chair squats is a good metric of, hey, are you ready to return to run? I have to look it up again, but I'm pretty sure that's a stat.
0: Yeah, uh, I, b- I believe so. I b- believe I remember seeing something like that. I'd have to look up the specific study and we can probably
1: find it and put it in the show notes too. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, beyond that, it also can be helpful to utilize tools if we do have them, like handheld dynamometry, um, force plates, even to assess for actual true symmetry. Uh, it, it's also helpful to understand that when we are doing these tests, we're we're not always just saying, "Hey, is the runner stronger? Are they weak? Is this knee joint or ankle joint stronger? Is it weak?" But doing these tests also help us understand. Is that joint, is that tissue normalizing? Like when that strength returns, that's also an indication of, hey, again, that system itself is normalizing because we know that loss of strength isn't necessarily just a muscle getting weak, but especially in the case of injury and pain, there's also a significant amount of neural inhibition going on. So again, as we see that strength, quote unquote, returning, it's also telling us as clinicians, hey, their system is normalizing and we can start to stress that system.
0: Really, really good point. And I think you guys both um, hit the nail on the head with it too, because um, as you mentioned, Rob, we can't just necessarily look at like isolated joint strength. Like that's only going to tell us so much. And I feel like a majority of people have probably had that experience, whether it's going to the doctor or going to the PT and having them test your strength by, you know, strength at the knee by trying to push your ankle down. There's really only so much we can tell by that force, but it's really so important to look at it in the grand scheme of things, like actually, how are you moving? How are you squatting? How are you deadlifting? Um, How are you on a single leg? And I think that oftentimes gets missed a lot sometimes, unfortunately, by um, individuals that don't necessarily specialize with runners, because that's just so important, because that's essentially how you're moving when you're running. It's not just isolated joint movement. It is the knees, hips, ankles, spine, all arms, all working together as one.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, and that's that progression, right? You look at a single joint, you look at that, whether that or the muscle, see if it works together, then we go into these compound more impressive lifts, I would say where we're using throughout the entire chain, but then it goes into power, right? We want to see speed and strength coming together, and being able to complete conditioning tasks in that way, still before we're even attempting to run, <laughs> which mm-hmm. I think people do. Uh, they well not make a joke, but they jump past that. They go right from "Hey, I'm strong, I'm good, let's go run," and it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. What about what about everything else in between? What about hopping? What about landing mechanics? Mm-hmm. And and that's kind of the next step, though. Mm-hmm. And so it's more the plyometric, right? It's the plyometric type of pr- approach that uh, we might need. And plyometric is that really fast loading and then very explosive response back out from it. And that's, that is running. Running is the constant cycle where we are loading tissue and immediately having that quick acceleration phase, that impulse phase where it changes and you switch direction and you're propelling yourself forward. And if you can't handle that comfortably or strong or with maintained form 10 times in a controlled setting there's no way that you're going to be able to handle that on uneven concrete, asphalt, curbs, grass, whatever terrain you might be returning to.
0: One thing I really like to preach to a lot of my runners is the fact that running is jumping. Um, As runners, we think, you know, when we think about jumping, we think of, you know, Michael Jordan throwing it down in the basketball court, slam dunking. And yeah, that is a form of jumping. But then if you really take a look at a picture of any, runner running there's usually a point where no feet are on the ground and so that is essentially the definition of jumping you are essentially jumping and landing from one foot to another and that adds and that's kind of where a significant amount of that loading comes from it's just that impact force and so we need to make sure that yes we have the strength to be able to squat and perform those functional movements but that strength also has to hold up and tolerate the amount of load and the amount of force that's going through our leg every single stride that we take and uh, no matter what run we are running you know no matter what distance you know that's usually thousands
2: of steps and not to go off on a tangent from this too much but that's the dreaded shin splints problem right is Mm. people are landing and it's either that they're having tension through the muscle that's the support tissue or they're loading the bone so aggressively due to how they're landing or that their tissue just can't handle that force quite yet for their weight and force and then that causes that aggravation a lot of times that's looked at under the umbrella of shin splints for most individuals where our solutions yeah it's improve the durability of the tissue but in the meantime how do we kind of offload some of those tissues by improving the efficiency of the gate pattern to then allow for a window of recovery uh, easier said when and then done when you have a runner who doesn't necessarily have to stick to a specific schedule if they're not in season younger runners if you're a cross-country runner that's challenging right you only have 10 weeks in season you're trying to get in shape race good and fix shin splints that's that's always kind of challenging for people mm-hmm. but individuals who are able to have a more flexible schedule it's important to take the time to solve that problem early on Mm-hmm.
0: That's uh that's a really good example because I feel like we've all had that experience of shin splints. And usually you're right. It's usually when we first start running. And it's a perfect example of our tissues just can't tolerate all of that load. And so they get irritated, and that's where we start to develop that pain. They make a whole
1: podcast on shin splints.
0: <laughs> you got that right. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have anything to add to the plyos and jumping at all, Luke?
1: So in general, one of the first things you want to see is the ability of the body to simply tolerate speed-based loading. We well know that speed of movement, speed of loading, drastically affects how the tissues are affected. Um, well, A great place to start is speed squats, quite frankly. Uh, I would like to take runners through, first of all, a series of double leg speed squats for 20 to 30 reps or 20 to 30 seconds. If they have success with that, they'll move into single leg speed squats. Now, I'll also have the the athlete, the runner, utilize that form of exercise training and take that over the week or two to make sure their body adapts into it, that they're not having any refractory soreness from it. And again, if they're having success with those two metrics right there, meaning no increase in pain, no irritability, nothing like that, we'll then assess with double leg small jumps or pogos and then also into single leg small jumps or pogos. I think the funny thing is when we try and have runners who don't necessarily train a lot of single leg hopping is, when they do a single leg hop, it's almost like the, the jump itself is way more force than actually running. So I'm always pretty certain to say, Hey, when we're doing this, this, this pogo, this, this hop, it's just like a jump rope. You're not you're jumping to the ceiling here, right? We're just, we're just assessing the irritability of the tissue here.
0: And Luke, when you're talking about speed squats, are you kind of just saying they're going up and down super fast when squat and not feet, not leaving the ground. And then pogos would be like very, very small, almost
1: like you're, um, jump,
0: hopping a jump rope.
1: They're absolutely correct. Cool. If you do have success again with those single leg pogos, that is a good metric to say, Hey, we're okay to transition into the running program itself. Yeah.
0: My, I love using pogos because it really shows if someone is ready to load through a leg or is not ready to load through a leg. And um, you really, if you're trying to hop really fast on an injured leg or a leg that just can't really tolerate it, Um, there's going to be all sorts of compensations just because it's, you're trying to offload as much as you can during a very high load activity. And so, um, being able to tolerate 30 seconds of single leg pogos, I think is a great metric, um, to know that we're ready to get back to running because if a tissue is not able to tolerate that load, um, it's going to become very apparent to both the runner as well as the physical therapist or whoever is working with that individual.
2: What are my favorite ways to just test a runner if they're concerned that they come up? and I think I'm a, I'm a little injured as a coach, right? From this experience, they're like, ah, it's kind of hurting. Should I, should I do the workout today? Should I take some time off? Um, I, I have them go through exactly that. If they can double leg squat, they single leg squat. If they can single leg squat, we try a double double leg hop. If they can double leg hop, we do a single leg hop. And then after that bounding, going into bounding where you take that longitudinal hop and try to get a little bit further along for distance and then testing and saying that if you have no pain throughout that, yeah, let's, let's go test the warmup at least, right? Let's see if you can make it through some easy running without it hurting at that point. Um, and if, if we're able to get to that point, we're, we're probably doing okay. Once again, and this isn't after coming back from an injury, this is in the moment. If you go, huh, how am I feeling today? Like just as a little check of the systems type of thing. And cause it still works, right? The ideas that we're talking about for return after injury can be used, um, on a continuum throughout the entire training process, which is nice. Cause the ideas still work throughout the entire time.
0: Um, one question I have for you guys, cause we've kind of brought this topic up, both talking about strength as well as hopping. And you brought it up in that little bit of a screen that you just mentioned, Rob. But um, why is it so important for runners to have that good stability on a single leg?
2: It's all single legged, (laughs) as you mentioned. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) because it's, because as we land, right? It's, it's by the time you're pushing off from the one leg with your toe behind you and you're in that toe off phase, the other leg is already launching through the air. When we're talking about stride length, It is taught. It's saying how far are you going to be moving before the other foot is touching down? And so, yeah, it's all single legged tax tasks that we're really doing. And you have to respect that. You have to train what you're trying to accomplish in that way. We're not we're not. I know, Luca, we're not we're not coaching shufflers. You know, we don't we don't want that. We want to see those running forms that look good and work good.
0: Yeah, I mean that's that's just so important. I mean, it, it's running is a single leg sport. There's no way around it. There's absolutely no way to get around that at all. And so we need to be as comfortable and as stable as possible on a single leg. And if we're not comfortable and stable as possible on a single leg, then we're probably not quite ready to to come to running. And I'm sure you guys have seen it as well. But I see it a lot sometimes, especially in younger runners, that don't necessarily have a good amount of core strength or hip stability or whatnot. But I try to put them on on a single leg and it's almost like they're just so unstable. And it's like, this is why you're having pain, you know, no matter what sport you're doing is because you're just not stable on a single leg. And usually once we get them more comfortable and stable on a single leg, that usually helps to resolve a lot of things.
2: Yeah, that fundamental balance of being in, in a single position, it's motor control, it is a bit of a learned skill, I think some individuals when they learn to run from an early, early age, they learn to run in a way that gets their body moving, but it's not necessarily the most efficient manner. And that, that can be said for a number of different injuries uh, that we that we experience and that we see. And so yeah, if we can get people feeling more confident in their mobility, and a little bit safer in that balance, it's going to transition over to, to sport as well. Yeah, to
1: that point, you, you bridge the gap from a basic human movement to skill in sport.
0: Yeah, no, that's, that's a great, great point. Um, the other factor kind of moving on from those and we'll kind of sum these all up again before we move on. But, um, the other big factor that I think runners need to pass before we start returning back to running is being able to answer. Do you feel like you're ready to get back to running? And I feel like for a lot of runners, the answer is going to be yes, very quickly, uh, way before it's too soon. But I've also seen a number of individuals where there is a little bit of, um, you know, psychological hesitation of getting back to running, because sometimes there is a little bit of a fear of returning to running and re-injury.
2: Yep. I think it is a developing field in the everyday runner. It's a developing uh, to use concepts of sports psychology in order to improve their performance, but also, I mean, performance improving right at that point of healing both of the body and of the mind. And I I would encourage anyone who has concern about that identity, if they're feeling anxious about returning, if they're feeling depressed because they don't have their their outlet of activity, that they should seek out those individuals who are trained in the sports psych world uh, to help bridge them in a way that I think they find it very comforting because those individuals come from the same mindset as, as an athlete in order to solve those problems. So it's a little bit more specific and at the same time, long-term, they're going to be better off from it, both in a holistic way, as well as in a performance manner.
1: Absolutely. Rob, because to that point, when you do work with those athletes who are afraid to return to run. That fear goes far beyond just getting hurt again. That, that that fear goes into like again, further losing the ability to live the life they want and the athlete that they want. The, the fear of failure, you know, I mean, that 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 fear can be so deep. And sometimes going into those topics can be challenging to talk about, but ultimately if you can bridge that gap and have those conversations, you can really explore some life-changing and transformative thoughts.
2: Mm -hmm. You know, you just said something that it made me think because I talked to uh, a team of runners about this a couple of months back, but the fear of failure. I I love the fear of failure when we're talking about sport. That's kind of the point. We can fail at sport and that's okay. Now, none of us here want the failure to happen because of an injury like that sucks when that happens. That's completely the opposite. But if you recover correctly and you get back at it, And you go through a full training cycle and then it ends up just not being your day and you don't hit your goal. Well, that's sport. That's the point, right? We -hmm. want to have that. If you don't have that fire lit under you, you're not going to have the drive to accomplish anything amazing. Um, But it can be hard to get back to that mindset after being out of the game for a little bit. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, all all great points. And it's important to note that, you know, as PTs, we're not necessarily trained in psychology or whatnot, you know, it's not in our scope of practice, but as PTs, we're all trained to identify some of those issues. And, um, I've had a number of people that I've referred or suggested to see a psychologist or someone just to chat with. And all of them have had really good experiences because sometimes you just have to talk to someone about that and talk with someone that has really good expertise in that area, um, to make sure that, not only your body is healthy getting back, but also the mind is really healthy getting back too. So, um, then to kind of sum up, kind of what we went through, and just in terms of our criteria, first we chatted about time. Depending on the um, injury and in the tissue, like we need to make sure an adequate amount of time has passed. Talked about pain needs to be under control. We need to have a good range of motion. We need to have really good strength, um, both isolated as well as functional With like single leg tasks. Um, we need to be able to tolerate jumping plyometrics, pogos, both again, double leg and single leg since running is such a single leg sport as well as just psychologically. We need to feel ready. I feel like that's a pretty solid list of good criteria that I often go through with runners to make sure that we are, um, pretty set and pretty ready to get back to running. I think the other cool thing is this is a lot of the same criteria I use for treating individuals that are returning to running after an ACL injury too or after an ACL reconstruction. Just because like when, when in those individuals that have an ACL reconstruction the leg and everything is is so weakened by that surgery and it's literally building up that leg and that body. And so these are the same exact criteria I use to make sure that those individuals can tolerate that return to to running and that return to force. And I think that makes these Um, characteristics pretty credible because they've been backed by a lot of research in the ACL world, because if we're getting those individuals coming back after an ACL injury that are really, really weak, really limited, and they can get back to running once they accomplish these things, then I think that says a lot for runners who are dealing with injuries that may not be as severe, um, as an ACL reconstruction, but still just as detrimental in terms of not being able to run and having weakening
2: through the leg. Yeah, you always want to be thorough and make sure that you're you're not skipping steps because we see an injury as less severe, or less invasive in someone's performance. Uh, But it's important to make sure that we we address each of these steps in order, still chill, checking it out. Um, Hopefully some of them go a little faster depending on the injury, though.
0: Awesome. So that brings us to now how we talked about what we have to do to be able to get back to running, but how can we safely return to running? And I know that's a really loaded question. We'll kind of get into the nuts and bolts of it, but what would you guys say is an important way for us to safely start that process of returning to running?
1: I guess even before starting the process of returning to running is helping the runner understand the context of the goal here. As a runner, everyone wants to run fast and gain more fitness but in this situation, the purpose of a return to run program is not yet to gain fitness. It's to gain structural capacity and return the ability to handle the forces of running. Something I like to say to clients, runners, patients is no one ever injured a lung while running. Well, I mean, someone probably injured a lung while running along the way. It happens. But the, the vast majority injure soft tissues while running. That being said, as we're building this program here, Yes, it's going to be slow. Yes, it's going to be boring, but it's so, so important that we go at a slow, deliberate, strategic rate to allow your tissues a chance to adapt and strengthen and handle and tolerate the forces of loading needed to run.
0: So you're saying essentially that um, we're not necessarily returning back to performance right away, but we're returning to running so we can build the structures
1: to tolerate that. Correct. Correct. And I like think what I was going to say, if if it's boring rehab, it's good rehab. Especially in especially in this case of the turnaround. One of the uh one of the, the phrases that I always hear one of my mentors in the clinic say. So I had to, had to get that one there.
0: <laughs> that's a that's a good one. But unfortunately for a lot of runners, they're like, can you just like let me go and just run? And it's
1: like
2: no, not quite yet.
1: <laughs> I'd love yeah. to, but if I did, you wouldn't like me for
2: that. It, it's that band-aid that has to get ripped off, especially like after a surgery. That oh, return to sport is how many months out? And the uh, you know the, the the individual might go wait what uh, what was that and it's like yes there's a lot of activity that can be done progressively but <laughs> when we talk about sport there is a sp- <laughs> that is a that is a whole other animal that we have to build to to build to gradually
1: yeah and, and to and to that point the process individualized like for some runners and depending on the context of their injury we, we may need to go a lot slower in case in the. In case in point of a, a tendonopathy or a bone stress injury but in the case of a, a tweak or a a little irritation of tissues we can go a little bit faster so it really is an independent process where again we, we'll say it over and over again it can be really helpful to have a practitioner a clinician a guide to help you along this process to be objective about it yeah.
0: all right so based off what you guys are saying we can't just expect to just start running super fast right off the bat so um how do we, how do we start then? Like, what does that slow process look like overall? Walking.
1: <laughs> there it is. Uh, we're alluding to it eventually, Matt, but yeah, I'm a huge fan of using walking and actually fitness walking as a way to bridge that gap from that plyometric phase and into the running phase. It's, it's a great way to build the tissue capacity as well as get the body used to those, that, that cycle of rep- repetitions of hitting the ground
0: in today's like age two, there's so much talk about more like zone two training too. And so I think walking and like you said, Luke, like more fitness, walking, fast walking is also a great way possibly while somebody is injured and can't run to still maintain a high level of aerobic capacity. Like I've heard, um, numerous stories about professional runners, like, you know, low two hour marathoners that are running nine minutes, easy pace at a very, very slow pace. So if they're running at nine minute pace for a lot of us, that's going to equal a very, very fast walk. So there's still a good like aerobic benefit that we can have by doing fast aerobic walking. And let alone when we are walking a little bit more fast, we are exposing our bones and our tissues to a little bit more load as we go through.
1: Hundred percent The One of the earliest patients I worked with, he actually was an ultra runner. And at that point, I was pretty early in my running career, too, which is a a kind of funny backstory. In in my own athletic career, I really never tended to start running. I always ran for extras every now and then. But then I met Rob, and I started living with Rob for a while when we were in PT school. And eventually, the, the, the speed got faster and faster. The miles got longer and longer. And now here we are running marathons. So thanks for that one. So You're welcome. But, You're welcome. yeah, but, but going back to that story of the patient, he taught me more about running and, and returning to running in that process than I taught him during that rehab process. I mean, yes, it helped him through the initial phase of post-operative understanding and all that sort of jazz, but once the, the return to run came, he crushed it. And again, one of the things he did that was amazing that I didn't even see coming was he slowly and deliberately built up his walking program his physician told him that you, he couldn't run for six months, and he accepted that. But what he did do was once he could walk, he just started gradually increasing his walking distance until one day he came back after like a one-month break in PT. He's like, yeah, I walked three hours yesterday. I'm like, what? Are you kidding me? And it was shocking to me as a new clinician. But when I realized you know, what he was doing, he was just gradually and slowly building up his tolerance and his conditioning, listening to his body along the way. And he was basically walking marathon distances, which was awesome.
0: That's a super cool story. And yeah, that's shows you the importance and the effect that walking can have on, on individuals. And so when, you know, when we're doing this phase, even though it may seem slow, and it may seem, you know, uh, very drawn out, uh, like we just want to start running, running fast, there's still a lot of good benefits that are happening. And that's really the benefit of a good walk to run program, you know, when we are starting this process, it's going to be, you know, we're going to do so many minutes of walking followed by so many minutes of running and kind of doing that and a repeat. And then eventually we're going to progress shorter intervals of walking, longer intervals of running. And it just slowly helps to introduce that load and that aerobic capacity and all of those things in a very structured, systematic and um, safe way for the body and the tissues to all tolerate. The um, there's a few programs. I know you guys have a program through um, expedition performance, but one of the ones I use a lot is the the Ohio State University return to run protocol. And if people just even Google that, you can kind of see what it looks like. But it's literally starting four minutes of walking, one minute running, and I believe doing it five times and then progressing that to three minutes of walking two minutes running and just slowly progressing there. And I've seen really good results of people taking that slow process and really building all of those adaptations with it. Did you guys kind of look at some of those things when you kind of designed your own return to running program too?
1: Oh, 100%. Um, One of the things we wanted to do with creating our own document was also giving guidelines for advancement, i.e. putting those pain rules we talked about earlier in The this episode in the podcast, putting it on paper for clients, any individual who wants the program to follow that to help them guide their advancement journey. Um, We also put some strength training items in that program too, as well as mobility drills to again, further help the success of their turn
2: to run. I think it's pretty natural in our type of backgrounds that we want to not just tell people what to do, but also help them learn why they're doing it. (laughs) And so our program, it is self-led a lot of times when we're talking about this part. Uh, We will do one-to-ones work with it, but we try to keep some consistency. And part of that is hearing the feedback from the runner in terms of how that they're feeling at this point, because they've laid all the groundwork at this point, right? They should be approaching strength that is appropriate for impact. And now it's just about building up that impact across 10-ish steps, essentially, Uh, that can take several weeks to get done, Uh, probably on the fast side, a couple of weeks on the slower side, probably a month or so uh, to make sure that someone's healthy and returning. And in the grand scheme of things, a month to get done an entire walk progression program. It's not too bad. It's not that much time that's cut out before getting back to foundational true running program. Mm
0: hmm. Um, regarding that process, two questions for you guys. Number one, when we're starting this process of like returning to running, are we doing this program back to back days or are we taking a day in between to like rest and recover?
1: Yeah, good question. Uh, The preference on when I'm working with clients or patients or even in our own program is to do them on non-consecutive days. The rationale for that is to allow appropriate time for bony intended adaptation now that doesn't mean on those off days you're doing nothing Uh, of course we're also encouraging the athlete runner to do cross training work whether it's strength training biking swimming work uh, anything they can do to continue advancing their fitness strength cardiovascular status while also allowing the tissues they're working to deliberately progress the chance to recover and adapt
0: awesome and then question number two is what are kind of those like pain rules that you like to have for runners getting back to running like um you know how much pain is too much in that process is a certain amount of pain okay to deal with when when we're talking about that run process what does that look like
1: yeah absolutely i can verbalize that right now um we we also have this written out in our program which i guess to that point is one of the free programs that we offer so we can put the link to that i guess down in the description if you'd like with the uh, discount code, or the, the free coupon code anyways, but this, the pain or soreness levels that we use uh, alludes to during or post-session. So as a general guideline, if you can perform your workout, your step of the session with preferably under a 2 ten level of pain, we can count that as a success, right? So good to keep going through your workout, good to count that as a check mark on your journey and to keep advancing. Now, if you're pushing into that three to five out of 10 pain, we can consider that a push or not a failure necessarily, but just indicates that, hey, you might need more time to adapt. So, not a check mark, but repeat that step at another time to again continue the advancement. Now, if you're bringing to a point where you're over a five out of 10, we can consider that an overload. In that situation, we may encourage the athlete to take an extra day off and possibly even go back one step to go back to a lower level, to a lower tissues, again, the chance to adapt into it.
0: Awesome. I like that program because it lays out really, really well of like, okay, this is okay. I can push into this a little bit or like it lays a really good red light of like, mm, yeah. nope, not going to do that. And yeah. kind of like we talked before, pain is very, very subjective. And depending on the injury, that may change a little bit too. So like one really, really good example is runners that are coming back after a bone stress injury or stress fracture, like really, we want no pain at all. And even if there is like one to two out of 10 pain, like that's a no go area. But like for a lot of tendon issues and muscle issues, going up to that five out of 10 pain is, is typically okay. And has been supported in um, numerous research articles too.
1: Yeah, 100%. And with these pain rules we understand respecting area that there is some leeway each direction but ultimately it's helpful to have a paradigm to work off of
0: so then like let's say we get through this this process and um usually the goal for these walk run programs i feel like is to get back to 30 minutes of continuous running you know that's a, a significant amount of time significant amount of miles significant amount of foot strikes to know that hey if i can run 30 minutes really solidly without aggravation of my injury like I'm, I'm pretty set. So now once we like hit that goal and hit that benchmark, how do we progress more from there? Because, you know, now we're going to want to start training back for races and we're going to want to get back into that performance versus just structural adaptation, as you talked about Luke. So what is that process for slowly progressing further back to that performance level?
1: I guess I'll, I'll start this off by saying, kidding. I'm going to just put to Rob, he's the performance division of expedition performance. So go for it, Rob.
2: I appreciate that. So I I have had great success with uh, following along with the 10% rule. And the idea being that it's 10% more, um, and I'm going to put it as intensity per week uh, along with the plan that every uh, three to four weeks that you're taking a cut back week for recovery. I think that's kind of a tried and true method. My one caveat with it is that I don't look at only volume. I think a lot of people, they end up looking at volume and they think that's total workload. And it's not though, right? If you're adding in any sort of speed, hills, weird impact, you're going on grass, like that's going to add or hills, I should say like, like uneven terrain, that's going to add other stresses and strain to the system. And I think it's really important to count that. And that's not exactly quantifiable. That's what's nice about volume is people look at mileage or kilometers, and they go, hey, I can measure that directly. But someone who's got good sense of their own intensity, or has a good system behind them should be looking at each of those different components. The other one that I know a lot of people like to go off of, and I think there's a number of different options, though, is the acute to chronic workload ratio. And I, I feel like I've seen eight different versions of that. Do you have any personal favorites, Matt, that you like to go with?
0: So um, there's, I feel like the acute to chronic workload ratio is like a decent number of like research articles behind it. But mm-hmm. I like it because like you said, it takes it takes count of that intensity. So really it's about um, your volume of minutes. So let's say you go for like a 30 minute run and base, then you base it off of your RPE. So you're rating a perceived exertion. So let's just say that was a nice, easy run and you rated it at a three out of 10 intensity. You essentially multiply 30 minutes by three and that equals your workload in quotation marks of 90. And then you take that whole week and add up each individual workout um, and you And you take that total week total and then you base it off of the previous three weeks um, or previous four weeks or so. It's kind of an intense math equation. but um, And so if you're someone that's interested in using that, chat with a coach or someone that can really, really help you understand that. But it's nice in terms of it brings in that intensity into the mix.
2: Um, This is just kind of a question for you, Matt, too, because you have the background in much more than just running, certainly, too, when we're talking biking do you look at wattage? Do you look at power in that way? Or do you still stick with this method more?
0: Good question. So if a, um, a cyclist has a power meter on their bike, I like to stick with power because I think a lot more research has shown that that's pretty specific to biking and it holds really, really true versus heart rate and power with running. Just haven't been, um, as, um, research-based, but for biking, I do like to use power to um, assess overall workload just because I think um, much more research points to that and, um, you know, really backs that overall. If someone doesn't have a power meter, of course, I'm going to be using um, RPE with that too. Awesome. And, and yeah, I mean, I think the biggest thing too is, is like we've said, we need to be Consistent with it. So we don't want to have huge spikes and increases, but we also don't want to have huge spikes downwards where we're not doing anything. That up and down can sometimes make our body more susceptible to injury. So um, it's one of those things where the turtle wins the race. Being slow and consistent is how you are going to get back to performance um, as quickly as possible. As ironic as that sounds, now that I say that.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I, I think the way I look at it is if 100% of the time, you're doing a a grade sixty workout that's a lot better than a fifty percent of the time doing a grade one hundred workout. Uh, you'll end up being not as beat up from it and your once again total workload type idea ends up elevating more over time
1: beyond the metrics and the science of exercise progressions, tissue progressions, that sort of stuff is we we can also just state the importance of lifestyle factors when it comes to adaptation and supporting a healing environment um some of the factors that we want to consider with this and having conversations with our athletes is around sleep hydration nutrition and even life stress because that can create a huge factor to how we adapt and how we progress with things and these factors they dictate a healing environment our bodies really have an incredible ability to adapt and recover when we give them the right environment to do so, or even rather when we don't let our lifestyles get in the way of that. And again, the beauty of the human body is that it really is a biologic machine, you know. And unlike inan- inanimate objects like our cars, our tissues have an ability to regenerate. And yeah, that process can get less efficient over time with age, but ultimately, yes, we have to go by the rules and like uh, again advance our strength routines, but we have to let our bodies have success with this and controlling the big factors, again, sleep, nutrition, hydration, and, and again, stress, and just respecting those factors can make a huge difference in the success of a runner, a rehab, or achieving any physical goal.
2: And, and I think putting those, those concepts together of being able to control the boring variables, right? The boring rehab, if we do the boring stuff early on in order to return Healthy and better than we were before, we're going to have more fun. And when we're talking about running as a sport, delayed gratification is a massive part of it. And that's even harder to do when you're forced away from it by an injury. But it is key to maintain that viewpoint, it is key to have that goal in mind for the end of the program and where you can start building from. Because at the end of this walk-run program, after you're starting off, that's where things really start getting fun. That's when we finally get to get back into the workouts, the the race-specific problems. And uh, that's where you get to enjoy it. But you have to build to that point. You got to earn it.
1: And to that point, that's one of the reasons we're having this conversation is I think all three of us can attest to how much we all enjoy running. I mean, it's so much fun it's so fulfilling in the chance to push your own body and see what you can achieve during the process and that's one of the reasons that we want other individuals whether you're a non-runner a runner or an injured runner to have success with running because heck it's fun it's it's a good time once you get to have success with it
0: Mm -hmm. and i really hope this conversation helped people to again you know number one like understand all that goes into trying to return to running. Like it's our goal as as healthcare providers too, to get you back as soon as possible, but we wanna get you back in a very healthy manner and healthy way. So I hope it helps individuals to realize kind of the, the criteria that we kind of go through um, to make sure people can get back to running safely. And then what that process looks like of really coming back to, to running. And one thing I always like to tell people is to really take charge of your rehab And to take charge of your care. And if you feel like, you know, um, your providers aren't looking at all of those different things, ask them about it. And that's what this whole process is, is like really educating people on what they should be looking for and what they should be um, being tested on before we get back out to running to really prevent any more injuries from happening. So it's really important for people to take accountability for the care that you're receiving and really take charge to make sure that you're getting the best care possible to make as solid of a return back to running and back to performance as possible. With that, before I send you guys off, I need to ask you the good old mastery question. So the mastery question is, what is your definition, personal definition of mastery?
1: My definition of mastery is enjoying the process. It really is. I think I've gone through enough situations in life, whether it's been school, high school sports, uh, even now running to realize that, yes, we can achieve an outcome, achieve some metric of success, but ultimately it's what we learn in the process that really makes a life-changing effect on us. So, yeah, I'll, I'll end with that. Mastery is enjoying the process of achieving a success
2: as for me i i believe that mastery is the ability to self-identify strengths and weaknesses and the humility to then address those strengths and weaknesses appropriately i believe that in order to be a strong performer you have to be willing to make the changes in the areas that are the most difficult because usually the things we're good at are the ones that are easy And so you have to be willing to identify the ones that are bad and improve from there. Awesome. Those are
0: some great definitions, guys. I appreciate it. And I appreciate you guys coming on the podcast to chat about this. Like I said, I think this is an important topic to educate people on so that they can have a better understanding and a better realization of what to expect from the process overall, too. So, um The other question is how can people reach out and how can people find you, um, both yourselves as well as, um, about expedition performance.
1: First, we are uh, at our website is www.expeditionperformance.com. Uh, you can find all of our information, coaching services, programs on there. And then our social media platform is at expedition performance on Instagram. And that's also on threads too.
0: Wonderful. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, guys. I appreciate it. And until next time, happy and healthy training.